Welcome to our podcast, What I Didn't Learn at Harvard, where super connectors who will be talking about how to network smartly in a post-pandemic world. I'm your host and moderator, Rajiv Jadav. I'm a reputation management strategist and social impact activist. My co-host is Victor Lee. He's our Harvard alum, and he will be guiding us through all the things he's learned about networking since he graduated. In the episodes that follow, you'll be hearing from experts who do networking well. Welcome to another exciting episode of Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard. And today we're joined by a very special guest. I got to say I'm the minority in this group since I'm the only one that didn't go to Harvard, but these two did go to Harvard. So just so you know, but we're joined today by Dina Brewer. Dina, uh, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the show. Uh, As a small introduction, Dina has been practicing corporate law for the last 30 years, first in New York with the firm Davis Polk and Waddell, uh, and then in London as the head of legal counsel for, as the head of the legal group for for Morgan Stanley's private wealth equity funds. Currently, Dina is the sole practitioner and managing partner of Princeton Law Partners LLC, which focuses on early stage investments in startup companies and provides outside general counsel advice, uh, which includes option plans, employee agreements, IP agreements, et cetera. In fact, Dina, one of men, one of Dina's many claims to fame is the creation of what she calls the 10 principles that companies need to go from surviving to thriving. And I think that's a very timely and relevant uh, principle to have given the times that we have. But Dina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, great to be here. Uh, and quite honestly, the reason I think this is really important for startups, and that's specifically what I'm focusing on, um, and startups that are pre-series A, so you haven't gotten your $5 million from your VC or your private equity, you have a great idea and you want to move forward. The problem is in third quarter 2023, we're 80% down this year from where we were last year in money being raised for those for those startups. I'm not sure if you guys have seen the same so, thing. Dina, certainly just, seen it. just to kind of backtrack just slightly, can you explain what Series A means? Sure. So when when we think of a company that's just started and you've incorporated, and let's assume you've incorporated somewhere in Delaware or New York, and you have um, your poster family and friends, what we call your first group of money, which is usually somewhere in the range of fifty to $100,000. And your 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 family or your self-funding, that's what we would call your family and friends round. After that, we usually get to an angel round, which is somewhere in the range of 1.5 million or below. And these are people who are wealthy individuals who want to invest in your company because you have a great team and a great idea. It's after that, um, that amount um, of money has been put in that we go to something called Series A, which is the Next round, usually it's in about it's about $5 million. You're usually revenue positive at that point. And at that point, you're kind of on your way to success. And just to backtrack a little bit, part of the reason I'm really interested in doing this and talking to whoever's out there who's interested in this is that the other thing is 90 over 90% of every startup will fail at some point in the first five years of its existence. So 
in doing this for 35 years, I've come across things that are really helpful to try and not make you fail. And that's what I'd love to talk to you about. Kind of helpful to not make you fail. Famous last words. Personally, professionally, on so many different levels we can talk about. <laughs> awesome. So I think maybe that's like a great segue to talk about these 10 principles that you kind of need so you don't fail. Maybe let's, we could like start there. Do you want to okay. walk us through that in any, in the order that you think is most relevant? Yeah. So even though I am a lawyer and I do work with startups, I'd say the first thing um, you should do if you're trying to start a company is don't worry about the legal things. You know, if you assume that 90% of the companies are going to fail, spending money on a lawyer or spending money on things that just make it look pretty doesn't move a business forward. There are times to get a lawyer involved and I will let, I you know, I have a view on that. But for the most part, just move forward, use standard forms that you can get off. Like the best advice I can give you, are there two websites? If you want to write them down, you should definitely use them. One is auric.com. Auric is a law firm out in California. They have a phenomenal um, list of standard forms. Don't even worry, download them and just use them. I'm really serious because for the most part, you'll be able to, if you get your $5 million with your in your series A, or you get your 1.5 million and you're with your angel investors, you can clean up a lot of the legal issues then. Okay, so that's the, the first thing is use a place like Y Combinator and Auric to get your legal documents. Everyone talks about LegalZoom, and, but I actually think those two are the best. The second thing, and I would say this is, if we're gonna go in order, this would be my number 10, the 10, the, the, the you know, the you know number 10 for what you should do and where I have seen um, startups fail is you've got a great idea. Everyone thinks they should keep it close to the chest. Tell everyone about your idea. Don't keep it close to yourself. Rajiv, you're like, you're ready. So what, yeah, what's, your, what's, your, what's your pushback on this? Well, so, this is also one of the reasons, Rajiv, that I wanted Dina to come on. because, And I've been introducing Dina to every startup I come across because I think a lot of people, as, as she hinted, right, a lot of people waste time and effort worrying about legal issues or spending money on lawyers to do things that they don't need to have done for them. So, and they're so secretive. They're so and they're, and they're, and they're very, yeah, like in, you know, getting NDAs signed and negotiating NDAs. You know, number ten here. So, so that's why I think you know what she does is she kind of cuts through all the stuff and 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 I think it you know, tells people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. But so go ahead, Rajiv. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I know I, she, she caught you off guard with guard with number ten. Wait till we get to number 10. That's the that's the least of your issues. Oh okay. okay, yeah, but just to kind of like go back to like the the number one, if that was number one, which you started off with, which is like don't waste time with the legal stuff initially. Just to kind of give you like a personal example, so we have this product called Lily Launch Tools, and initially the name that we started out with was Lily Launch Pad. Now, when we, we, again, to your point, we would have just run with that name if we were following your initial comment, but then we consulted the attorney and the attorneys found out that, hey, there's actually another company called Launchpad that owns the domain for Launchpad. And if we want to- That's because you didn't that, let me get down, you didn't let me get down to number three on my list. <laughs> no, no, hang on, hang on. But, but the point is like, we kind of like found that out, decided we didn't want to get into the legal back and forth and just changed the company's name to Lily Launch Tools, which we own the domain for and then trademarked it and everything. So now we're kind of like secure from that standpoint to have like a trademarked and copyrighted name uh, mm -hmm. and the domain and everything associated with that from that standpoint. So okay, so I would I would respond the following, Rajiv, is that I have these ten things and they all do interplay with each other. So you can't just do number ten and not also um, think about the other ones as well. 
Um, but, and number three on my list is protect, you know, get your domain name before you incorporate, get your domain name, because in it's, it's the case that you could incorporate Nevada and you could be able to get a name that Delaware doesn't have, but Nevada does. But really what matters in today's world is that you have the website and the domain name and you have the email for it. And usually if the domain name exists, you can also incorporate with that same name, or at least you can do business as it. So absolutely. In that yeah. case, you still don't need a lawyer though. You yeah, just but, need know, so domain the, name. So the thing is we had the domain Lily Launchpad, but there was another company that already was squatting on, they had a product, it was a different domain, but they had a product called Launchpad. And it was just like a blank website with that thing on it. It was some consulting company out of Boston, I think. Uh, but uh, that's, and we didn't want to like get into the whole, like maybe when we grow to scale and then they'll be like, hey, using Launchpad, blah, blah, blah. We didn't want to like get into that. And that's why we, even though we had the domain of Lily Launchpad, we still decided to change the name to Lily Launch Tools where there was like no, nobody was using Lily Launch Tools or Launch Tools. So that then, since that was a clear field, we decided to go in that direction. Yeah, so I totally understand. And there's certainly cases like that. Again, I come back to the fact that since 90 some odd percent of startups will fail, I don't think that the use of your money should be spent on day one with a lawyer to make sure that all of those domain names and things are set up. I think that if you can get the domain name, if you can get the domain name and it exists, even though you're saying that someone else was 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 using it, and you can incorporate with that name. Yes, there are some things that are going to come up, but two things are gonna happen before they come up. One, you're either gonna fail or fail quickly, which is the other thing you should do because it's just, you wanna be able to fail quickly so you don't waste a lot of time and effort on your part. But two, you're going to, um, if, if you were really successful, you could figure out a way to deal with the issue that came up at that point at a later point. And I just find that so many startups are more worried about bells and whistles on day one versus getting a business that makes sense, that supports a market need, that's in a niche that they have an expertise in with people that they can put into their network and move forward. And usually when you get lawyers involved, you end up um, pulling back and doing things more slowly. And in this day and age, you have to try and do things well, but do it quickly. Right. No, yeah, I'm I'm totally for speed for sure. And also part of the reason why we kind of went in that direction is because somebody from our network who's based in Silicon Valley, he had a company that was called something and that company was doing well. I guess they were kind of going by what you first said. And then they had to change the name because somebody like fought them on that. And then there was like a big legal battle, costly legal battle that a rebrand that was costly, that wasted time. And then they had to then operate under a new name. So we didn't well, want to get well, into that, like that's all also, that. that. That's also a marketing and branding question, right? It's not strictly a legal question because there's going to be confusion. And I think I think number 10 was really about NDAs, right? Because yeah. NDAs is an area where people can kind of get caught in their underwear about you know people stealing their ideas and, and so on. So that's the thing I think for the moment that... Oh, so, so one of the, I have found that, um, you know, when I say talk to everyone and tell them about your idea and, and what you're doing to get it done is in order to build out your network and don't make them sign an NDA. First of all, if you're a new company and you're trying to get funding from anyone, they're not going to sign an NDA. Second of all, um, the only time you're going to sue on an NDA and the only time you really need an NDA in my mind from a legal standpoint is if you're doing um, coding or biotech where you need to protect your IP. And a lot of times there, the best thing to do is yourself file a provisional patent. That's not one of my 10 things, but just 
you know, so you can put yourself in line for your, for, you know, for something you're trying to protect. But other than that, an NDA is never going to protect you because you're never going to end up suing on it because either you're going to go out of business first or they're going to do it better than you. And if they do it better than you and you don't have the money to, to end up suing them, you're just not going to get anything from it anyway. And so that's why I say just focus on the business and move forward. So that's my talk to everyone is number 10. Can I uh, go down to number nine? <laughs> to number nine. Yeah, we got to know what's, what's after this. And I'm sure, Reggie, we'll have a, you'll have a view about number nine. My okay. second thing is that in seeing how startups, the ones that have been successful and the ones that have failed, I have never seen a startup that worked that did not end up having a strong co-founder. And um, if you look at Crunchbase, if you look at Forbes, if you look at any of the statistics on, on startups, you'll see that uh, you have a 30% better cha chance of one, getting investment and two, succeeding if you have a co-founder. And again, you need someone who can you, you can le leverage their network as well as your own. And you need to be able to um, have ideas and move forward and not just have it be you. Now, the minute you have a co-founder, it brings me to my next thing that you need, which is you need a founder's agreement. Again, go to Auric or go to Y Combinator and just download uh, a founder's agreement. But the biggest issue I've seen is that when you start a company and you end up incorporating and you now have shares of the company and you own 50% and your co-founder owns 50% or 70% and 30%, you can't have a company in which you start it and somebody owns X percentage of the company and then leaves. They still own the they still own their 30%, their 50%, their whatever, and the company will fail. So what you need is something called a founder's agreement, which allows you to buy back shares from someone if they leave because they want to move to California because they need to make money. I promise you that in the first three years of you doing your you know, startup, you're going to be working for free. You're going to use your money to hire 1099s or what we call independent contractors or you know, hot, you know, create your first prototype or do whatever it is you're doing. And you need somebody else who's alongside you for the ride. You're going to have so a that, much better chance of success. Is that number seven? That was no, so, so number 10 is tell everybody about your idea. Right. Number nine is get a co-founder. <laughs> number okay. nine is co-founder. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you so far. Sounds yeah. good. Good deal. Okay. So now you've got a co-founder. And you've agreed and you've told everybody about your idea and everyone likes it and everyone's excited about it and everybody wants to kind of help you move forward. Now's your time to incorporate. Again, don't hire a lawyer in my mind yet. You don't have enough money yet to really put your money into that. You want to show that you can move forward. Again, go to one of these places I've already told you about. And um, and I personally think you should incorporate in Delaware. That's um, you know, that's where that's where I think it, it makes the most sense for a whole host of reasons, which this time period won't allow us to do. <laughs> but um, when you incorporate, the one thing I would do other than doing a simple incorporation document, which is there, is and you're I'm happy if you reach out to me, I'll give you the two-liner language that you need. I'm a big believer in having two classes of stock initially. You're not gonna have preferred, this is just your basic common stock but you should have common stock that's voting and common stock that's not voting. One of the other things that founders do is, I promise you anyone who's involved in your company doesn't really wanna vote. They're not interested. They just wanna know that if you become a unicorn and are worth a billion dollars, that they get your equity. One of the biggest mistakes that, that founders make is they give 
somebody who's not involved in the company voting stock. Once you give someone voting stock, people hate things when they're taken away from them. So they will say, no, I don't want you. I want my, you gave me common stock or you gave me preferred stock. It has voting rights. I don't want you taking it away. But it's shocking. If you give somebody, somebody something on day one, they actually don't care at that point that that's what they got. People just hate it when things are taken away from them. So the one thing I'd say again is voting and non-voting, if you're gonna take something away from this, is, is only give voting stock to people who are intimately involved with the company. Any, okay. any thoughts on that? No, I think I'm with you. Please right. continue. Rajiv is with me. We, we, okay. Good. Okay. So now we have a company. And the other reason to incorporate is you don't want personal liability. You know, the whole point is to make sure you own what you own when you start a company and that you also don't, that no one can take your home or your car and that you don't have any personal liability, which under US law, having a corporation does for you or an LLC. Um, then uh, number seven is bring people on as, as advisors. You've got a whole group of people who are interested in this. People like supporting you and helping you and, 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 and especially if they like your idea, but they also like being part of something. You can download a free advisor's agreement from Auric or from Y Combinator. Again, don't need anybody. And I am not a believer either in options. There's another thing I say differently than most people um, is I don't believe that things should be based on time, that you give two years of, of time to the company where you do one Zoom call a month or you do. I think it should be based on milestones. You introduce 10 people to the company who do X, Y, or Z for you. You help the company go from zero revenues to X, Y, or revenues, then give the person their you know, 0.25% or their whatever percentage that you've given them. But don't do it based on just that they're gonna be with you for two years. I don't th I think it doesn't align people's interests. Okay? Any questions idea. so far? Great <laughs> yeah. idea. Okay, so that's your advice. And again, they don't get voting stock. These advisors are just gonna get the non-voting. And you, you, you know, just keep everybody. So that's compensation, right? Huh? It, it's just compensation. It's compensation. Yeah, you yeah. do not want them to have voting stock. Okay. So now you're at the point where you've got a group of advisors, you've got a corporation, you've got your co-founder, which by the way, I think your co-founder should be 40 years or older, 40 years or older. Um, the other thing that has been shown is that the older a person is, the bigger their network and the better their chances of success in a startup. So bring our old, older people on board. Um, six, family and friends. It is sad, but in order to start a company, people want to know that you have skin in the game. And if you can't put the skin in the game yourself, which would be the, the easiest thing, you need to have family or friends who are willing to, willing to fund you. Sorry about that. This is usually in the realm of about 50 or so thousand dollars that you're going to try, or you can get anything, you know, that you, that people are willing to do. Again, you're going to now here's where it, it becomes an issue. Not to get into the weeds, but anyone you raise money from, if they're not somebody called an accredited investor, which is another issue, technically you need to comply with the SEC rules. The SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Well, That's what I'm an expert in. Now, as a lawyer, I have to say, you have to comply with all these rules, 100%. But think of it this way, most companies, Think of them as going 65 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone. They're just going to go out and raise the money from the family and friends. They're going 65 miles an hour and they're never going to file anything with the SEC. 
Is the SEC going to put him in jail? No. Is the SEC going to say you can never, you know, merge or incorporate uh, use our IPO process? No. They're going to give you a little of a hassle likely, but for the most part, they're not going to do anything. It doesn't take that much effort to follow the SEC rules, but you will have to fire, hire a lawyer if you're going to do so. The problem is, if you're going to try and raise $50,000 and you need a lawyer, that lawyer is going to cost you at a minimum ten dollars to $15,000 for that, for that oh. deal, which makes no sense to you, right? So while I do that sort of thing for a very fixed fee and for, for a very low amount, because I just use the standard form, it's something called a SAFE from Y Combinator, and then I file with the SEC, and I don't let you negotiate anything other than something called evaluation cap. I'm, again, getting a little bit too much into it, and we can do a whole session on um, SAFEs because I think no one really understands them. I actually don't think people understand them the way they should. Um, the point is, is that you should go ahead and raise the money. I'm not telling you to do anything illegal, but just move forward, move forward. And you we can- We get the message. Yeah, you, <laughs> can, you can clean up, but it's just a, it's, I, I think that companies would go out of business if they needed to hire for $15,000, somebody when they're only getting $50,000 in, but technically you kind of need, you're supposed to do that, but you're not going to jail. So okay, that's good to know. That's important. <laughs> okay. So that's the family and friends um, money. And again, give them non-voting stock, okay? So I can't say that you know, uh, enough. Um, the one agreement that you should have everyone sign who is involved with your company or doing any work for your company, whether it's a 1099, which is an independent contractor, or if you end up hiring an employee, is you should have an IP agreement, which means that anything that that person does is owned by the company. Where I have seen agreements come back to bite you in the ass is when you don't do that. And then they, if any work someone does is technically their own work. And then if it becomes really successful, you have to go back to them to get them to sign it. And again, no one likes signing something unless you're going to pay them for it at that later stage. So it, you don't need a lawyer in my mind for this. Again, you can just download the agreement and just sign it as is. You're not going to understand it. You know, you know, but at least you're somewhat protected and you know that someone else has negotiated this in the right way. So that is an agreement I agree that you should do. And I think the founder's agreement is the agreement you should do. The advisory agreement you also will end up needing. But again, all of these can be just, you know, downloaded or standardized, have, you know, or and, and, and standards. Okay. So any, we're up to number, uh, we're up to number four. So anything before that? No, I'm with you. So far, you're so good. Me. This is great. Okay. Okay. Four brings us back to Rajiv's point, which is you need a domain name. You know, even though I said incorporate was, I think, number seven, you you want to do incorporation and domain name at the same time. Is you know, you want to have the domain name essentially first because you want to know that you've got it. Um, it doesn't mean that you're completely protected. You can just go online and do a search, you know, so that you have some idea if somebody else is using it. And yeah, it might come back to bite you that you haven't hired an IP lawyer to make sure you're really doing this correctly, but I don't think that's the best use of your money in day, in year one. I really, I personally don't. I, it, I can be convinced otherwise if there's a ton of examples. I've seen examples the other direction, which is why I feel it, it's the, it, that's the case. So you've got your, now you've got your domain name and then you've incorporated. And it brings us back to our lovely, you know, founders agreement, which is, you know, I said, find a founder. You didn't enter into the founders agreement right then. You need to, you need to know that the founder, and it's actually one of the other, one of my other 10 things that I've seen that kills companies, 
is don't associate with anyone who sucks the energy out of a room. It is shocking. That, that's a rule for life, I think, Tina. That is a rule absolutely for life, for dating, for anything, which is why dogs are so awesome, which I have yes. two of them right here, because they never suck the energy out of them. Right. <laughs> um, or cats. Well, anyway, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I'm a dog person, but okay. But the, the main reason I'm saying this is, is to, to find your founder before you do your founder's agreement is you need to make sure that this person is you, someone you you'll go to bat with. You'll go, you know, you will, you, you don't need to write everything down. You trust each other completely. That doesn't mean you shouldn't write things down. It just means that you better start out that way, that you have such trust in the other person. Yeah. If you hire any employee, any advisor, any investor comes into your company and they suck the energy out of the room, figure out a way to jettison them so quickly if you don't you will spend your whole time hating your life hating what you're doing because most of your time will be spent with that person isn't it the case like two percent of the people in a, any sort of organization cause 95 percent of the problems or you know <laughs> you know that kind of thing okay so, yeah. so and that's why i have founders agreement as my number number three in this list as compared to up when I said find a founder, they're very different. Finding the founder is very different than the founder's agreement. I personally think the founder's agreement is something where a third party, someone like me or, or, or someone who's not going to cost a ton is good because they're really hard questions to have when you actually enter into your founder's agreement. You can download it and just sign it as is, which is not a bad, not a bad scenario. You can always renegotiate, right? The two of you. But the reason it's it's a tough one is in the first two years of your startup, you're likely not going to be making any money. You're right. going to so if you're young or if you're if you're not retired and independently wealthy, um, it's going to be a struggle. And whenever things are struggles, things are going to be harder in other ways. You know, you're going to have someone's spouse or someone's you know who's who's annoyed by the fact that they're spending all this time doing this. And there's it's a seven year horizon before there's any payout whatsoever you know, kind of thing, which is, and that's if you're successful and that means you're in the top 6% of companies to begin with, right? So 6% of companies are going to survive and it's going to be at least seven to 10 years before there's a payout, you know, and, you know, so, so you got to be prepared for the fact um, that there could be a problem, right? That there, and you need to know what if the person needs to go get a job? What if the person needs to move to California? What if the person gets married? What if the person wants to bring on their brother-in-law as the CFO and you can't stand the brother-in-law because he sucks the energy out of the room? You need to be able to have a document that you've agreed to all the hard questions in advance. And in my experience, people like living up to their bargain. Problems arise when they think their bargain is something different than they thought than than what they had before. And so that's then, the, yeah. I so what do you think? So, so no, just a couple, couple things to add to, uh, Rajiv, especially from the conversation I've had with Dina. I think it's very important, especially because today, so many I see so many people started doing startups, and they're actually side hustles, right? It's kind of like what you were saying earlier, Dina, about you know people having a job. Often people have a job, and they have they have a startup on the side, and then and so it's already unequal because the other person potentially is you know doing hundred percent, right? So the founders agreement kind of helps even it out. So that you agree who's doing what, and and you kind of need that right at the beginning. The other thing I just want to mention, which uh, Reggie, which Dean had said the other day, is 
in some ways, the the lawyer, you know, if you do get a lawyer to help you negotiate the founders agreement, the lawyer is almost like a mediator or a marriage counselor or something, right? It's not a situation where each founder gets their own lawyer and then they all negotiate the founders agreement because that'll just become a total disaster. Right. We just need it's like one person essentially represents both of you and kind of helps you work through it because it helps as 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 Dina said, it helps you, it helps get those tough questions out on the table. But I think especially at the beginning, I know it's hard because everybody kind of goes into it with rose rose-colored glasses, and this is gonna be great. And the your biggest problem is how we're gonna spend all the money we're gonna make, right? And then they, they kind of neglect the nitty-gritty of you know of what those the seven it's gonna be seven years of famine before you get to the seven years of feast, right? So I, I absolutely agree. And I and and I do think having that third party there um is the perfect way to have those harder conversations. It's it's the it's the same reason why you have when you have when you're bringing an investor, um, you want to have a lawyer involved because you need to have a great relationship with the person who's investing in you or the person who you're doing a joint venture with. But there are hard questions that have to be asked. And it's way better to have those questions be asked by a third party who you can blame. So the other thing is, is the minute you bring a lawyer in, the other side usually has to bring a lawyer in. Not when you're doing founders agreements. I think there can be one person who's representing um, everybody, both, both sides. But when you when you have the lawyer and the other side has the lawyer, all of a sudden you've lost the business to business relationship. So in all of my, um, when I work with anybody, I say, one, don't say you even have a lawyer. You provide the the comments to somebody else, not don't have it go through me because if they go through me, then they're like, wait, why do they need a lawyer? That means I need a lawyer and everything gets, gets muddled. So I try to stay as far out of it and as far out of the, the until somebody needs to be able to have a backstop. So in which case the CEO shouldn't be in the room. So that way the CEO can say, Dean is crazy. I absolutely would never have done that. I completely agree with you because you need the CEO to have the best relationship with whomever they're talking to and be able to blame a third party. So using your lawyer as the person you can blame when you're not in the room is the absolute correct way to handle in my mind, these relationships. Okay. That's so Dina's expertise, taking the, taking the blame for everything. I'm no problem with that. Compliance, <laughs> children, you know. Everything. And I hopefully don't suck the energy out of a room. So, <laughs> so that, that's fine. Um, so number two, employees cost a lot. It is usually, other than creating your prototype or building your tech out, um, you know, for, you know, for, your, for the company, you're going to have to bring on employees or 1099s. And the easiest way to do that is to do it with an option plan. Again, so one of the things I see startups doing correctly is don't do their option plan quickly and first. You know, if you get your option plan in place and you've just started, you can, you know, your company is worth zero. So your options are just at par, you know, penny, less than a penny, and you can issue them at that amount. And therefore, everyone participates in the upside. Again, non-voting stock. Options should be on non-voting stock. It's bullshit in my mind that people give options on voting stock. It makes zero sense, and I don't understand why they do it. That being said, um, when you do the options, you are going to need a lawyer to you know to do it. It'll cost a couple of thousand dollars. They'll set it up for you, but you use that as your currency, and you usually can get people to work um, for 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 a portion of it options. But again, I wouldn't do it based on the 
three or four years now. Four years is kind of the option. Dina, let me ask you a question, right? When you say options stock, what does that mean exactly? When you say options, what is it the option for? Okay, so if you're starting a C corporation or an S, you know, let's just say, assume it's a C corporation in Delaware. You'll start with 100,000 um, shares. They, they haven't been granted to anyone. It's just, that's what's in your articles of incorporation. Right. It doesn't, you know, you know, it'll cost you $250 to incorporate in Delaware, okay? When you have, then you create an option plan. And usually the option plan is around 10% of the outstanding equity. So if the um, founder owns 50 shares, let's assume you only have a hundred shares that you're issuing. 50 shares to one founder, 50 shares to the other, which by the way, you have to have a buyback on them, right? Because you can't allow that to go forward. Um, and if they leave the company, still own those 50. So they own 50 and you um, uh, and the other person owns 50. Then you'll create an option plan for 10 shares. You know, let's just say it's 10 shares. Those 10 shares don't exist as part of the capital yet because no one's exercised on them. And those 10 share, those 10 options, what we call a part of an option plan, you'll give out something called an option agreement or an option grant, which has to be done by the board. And then the um, employee or the independent contractor or whomever you're giving it to or the advisors will have this vesting of those op options. Let's say they get one share and it vests over four years. So 0.25, you know, 25%, you know, 0.25 of it vests on year one, 0.50 vests on year two, you know, and, and so on. And, but I think it's so still should be based. Like, what does that mean, vesting? Like, what does that even mean? So vesting means the way it normally works, I disagree with this, but the way it normally works is you work for IBM. IBM is, has shares on a public company. You get um, a, a thousand shares in IBM as part of your compensation with the company. Those 1,000, um, uh, those options that represent 1,000 shares vest over the next four years while you work at IBM. If you leave IBM on year two, you'll have lost 50% of those options. And when you leave, you can exercise those options and buy the, the 50 shares that have already vested, and then you can sell them on the open market. You can't do that in a privately held company. So... There's a whole host of things I believe about options too. So for, there's something in options called ISOs and NSOs, which are um, has to do with incentive and non-incentive stock options. And people worry about this so much. And I find it again, ridiculous. I have almost never seen in a startup someone being able to take advantage of an ISO. And the reason is, is you only exercise your option when you there's an event that makes sense for you to do so. And then you don't hold it for the two-year holding period that you need. So again, that's a that could be another tire podcast just on options, but <laughs> so did it answer we, your question, Rajiv? It did, it did. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So are we up to number two? And well, my number no, we're up to uh, number two is um employees, since employees cost to things well, yes, yes, and more quickly than you imagine. And number one is kind of the one I said about, you know, uh, surround yourself with smart and good people. Don't associate with anyone who sucks the energy out of a room. All of your energy will be spent on managing that relationship. And, you know, the best chance you have of success is surrounding yourself with smart, good people who are committed to an idea, but are also willing to pivot from that idea because I promise you, whatever you think you're starting on day one, it will look very different on year one. And that's my, those are my 10, 10 things that you should think about. So in, in 
one of the other things you also mentioned, what can call this number 11, you've, you've also said, trust your instincts. Yes, trust your instincts is- How do you feel about that? I totally, you know, it's it's definitely the, uh, the advice we give our kids as well. Um, whatever your instincts are, they're, they're a reason they're telling you to go that way. And, and it's part of this other thing, I believe, is that you're never going to be a very good startup um, person if you're not, if, if you're risk averse. You have to be able to deal with risk. And part of dealing with risk is also meaning that you're able to make decisions quickly. It's better to make a decision and then turn out it's wrong and you have to deal with the consequences than not make a decision at all, which as Victor, we spoke about, not making a decision is a decision in itself. So make a decision, trust your instincts, surround yourself with good people, tell your idea to as many people as you can, bring on advisors, don't have voting stock and you know don't don't just give out voting stock, have non-voting stock, have a founders agreement, incorporate, make sure you have a donate domain name and come and find me <laughs> so I can help you when you get to the oh and auric and uh, dot com and uh, and y combinator are good places to go right and that was o r r i c k exactly right okay yeah and one so other I thing i'll say just if i'm giving out free advice to whoever the five people who will listen to this um write down something called 83b election just write it down when you start when you start your company just re remember that this is something you really want to do it's a very legal thing but you really want to do it what is 83b election i thought this was going to be the second part of our podcast <laughs> an 83b election is when you do your founders agreement and you have this repurchase right, because it's a really bad idea to be able to have someone hold the stock, even if they leave the company, that repurchase right makes it means that it, you don't necessarily really own it. It can be repurchased under certain circumstances. As a result, you can do something called an 83B election. On the day that your company starts and you get your shares, you can file within 30 days. And if you don't file within 30 days with the IRS, you can't do it. You just can't do it. So you have to do it within 30 days. You can get the tax basis of the value of the stock on the day you got it. And what's the value of the stock on the day you got it when you start your company? Zero. It's zero. So you have no tax basis. You have you, it's, you have a zero tax consequence. If you never file your 83B election and your shares all vest in four years, and on four years, you've gotten an investment from a VC of 10 million, all of a sudden your company is worth at least 10 million, you know, it's worth at least 10 million. And all of a sudden your shares, if you own 30% of the company are worth 3 million, you have to pay tax on it. Oh, wow. Even though you can't sell them. It's a disaster. So this doesn't end up happening a lot because 90 some odd percent of companies go belt bust. So then you don't have to worry, right? <laughs> but if you're the one company, which we're all hoping you are, you better have done an 83B election. Otherwise you're screwed. Wow. 83B elected. Okay. For those that were listening, I think this is the headline. Anyone who's made it to the end of this podcast, that's right. like, and you made it, you're going to come and I want you to buy me dinner or at least a drink. <laughs> if you all the money they said. And seven years from now, you're successful. There we go. So thank you so much, Zina. I love how everything is very, all the way from strategic and uh, very comprehensive advice all the way down to the 83B election, which I am, I am, I think it's safe to say nobody listening has ever heard of this. I've never heard of this. Including okay. me. Okay. Right. Okay. If you have a startup and you've not done this, you're screwed. <laughs>
<laughs> oh wow well we haven't done any capital raising yet so oh well then then it's a, but then it's better okay i'll you know call me <laughs> right sounds good well, th thank you so much, Gina. This was great. And, um, I think this is all useful stuff. And I, and I particularly like your approach, which is that, you know, founders should really focus on the things that go to the success of their company. And, you know, they're not, they're, you know, startups should not be in the lawyer enrichment business. So, and I, th I think you're one of the only lawyers I know who will actually agree with that. Well, it's been a, definitely a fun, this is my Weirdly, my first podcast, so <laughs> I have no idea how it will go, but, <laughs> uh, but thank you. And happy to talk about, you know, a whole host of other issues that one can get involved in um, that have to do with the raising of money, which I think is a tough one, especially in this environment for, for startups. Yes. And, and so I think a lot of things you did, especially are very protective of startups, because when the, when the, you know, the, uh, the, the fundraising market goes south, I think this will help companies, you know, get through that and hopefully come out the other end and be able to raise money and be successful. So any, any parting thoughts, Rajiv? No, I, I, know, I know it's a lot to absorb. I've already had several conversations. With, with my my thought is this 83 B election. Yes. There we go. <laughs> my thought. I love, I love that. That's the, I love that you got something out of it. This, that's this, my this, yeah. I, the other thing I believe is I always tell my, my kids, Anything you do should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and shouldn't waste people's time. So hopefully people felt there was a beginning, middle, and end, and hopefully you got something from this. Perfect. I love that. That's a great, that's a great way to wrap up. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, this was great. I mean, I would never have guessed that this was your first podcast. Well, <laughs> so maybe it won't be. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Well, yes. Well, well, no, first one, but not your, not your last. Will, not maybe your it won't last. be my last. It yeah, may that, be my last as well. So. <laughs> well, not if it's up to us, but okay. Rajiv, any, any parting thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I think that was like a, this was a fantastic episode. I think we covered a lot of ground. I think we covered it really fast. I think, Dina, you broke it down for us in a very easy, easily uh, digestible and comprehensible kind of way. So thank you for that on behalf of our listeners. And um, yeah, it was fantastic. 83B election. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic right. okay thanks yeah, no. guys please send us your comments and questions about networking by posting them in the comments below or for a quick response email us at dintlearn at harvard at gmail.com Please like, comment, and subscribe. It means the world to us. Try today's networking nugget and tell us whether it worked or if you hate it or if you'd like us to brainstorm a solution for you. No charge. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting us by listening and sharing our content with people you care about. That's all this week from Rajiv and Victor. Thanks for listening to Things I Didn't Learn at Harvard. Hopefully you learned something here today.